Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yardena Azvan, here with my friend and Chabruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Shabbat Kuf Membet 142. So as I talked about yesterday, I want to read a section here uh, that's going to talk a little bit about the idea with Muksa, with Sorech Lugofot, Sorech Lumikomo, um, and Rav Chisa's interpretation of this Mishnah here. So the Mishnah told us the following, Metatalin Truma, right? We can move Truma, that is Tame mixed with Tahor, or if it's with Chulin. And now Rav Chista is going to give a uh, explanation of this Mishnah. Amar Rav Chista, Lo shanu lamata, lamala. So this Mishnah only applies in a case where the Tahor Truma is on the bottom of the basket and the Tame Truma is on top. Aval lamata. But if we have a case where the Tahor Truma is on top, and the Tame Truma is on the bottom. So you have to take the Tahor Truma out of the basket and carry it by itself. And you basically just leave the Tame Truma behind in the basket. So it actually makes a lot of logical sense. But the Gemara wants to explore this interpretation a little bit more. And I think this is a great example of something that we see the Amorim often doing, which is in a way, the Mishnah is written in sort of a, a type of shorthand. And then the Amorayim have to come in and sort of figure out, like, what's the longhand here, right? What's the actual full case of what we're talking about? So the Gemara is going to ask the following question. Okay, but let's say even if the Tahor Truma is on the bottom, right? Let him just spill all the Truma out to the ground. And then he'll just recollect the Tahor Truma, right? In other words, so then you don't need to carry any of the Tame Truma at all. You'll just pour all the contents out of what's in the, of, you know, of the Truma uh, from the basket. Amar Rabbi Eli, Amar Rav. So Rabbi Eli said in the name of Rav, So this was something that we saw before, right? We're dealing with produce that would become readily uh, ruined or soiled. Um, so, you know, I was trying to think, like, I could see that, you know, if you took, um, like a particularly soft fruit, you know, not potatoes, but let's say something like plums or peaches or grapes, you know, something like that, that if you poured the whole thing out and it was rolling around on the ground and then you had to sort of resort it, that wouldn't be good uh, for the fruit itself. Um, so now uh, we're going to explain, again, go into Rav Chista's explanation. Meitzvei, okay, so now we're going to quote a brisa that's going to challenge Rav Chista. We can move truma that is tame with truma that is tahor or with chulin. Whether it's a case where the tehora truma is on the bottom, is on top, and the tmeya is on the bottom. Or whether the tame is on the is on the top and the tahor is on the bottom, right? Tiyufta of the Rav Chista. So now we seem to have like a straight out contradiction, a straight Tiyufta, right? This totally refutes what Rav Chista said before about his explanation. We have a Brisa which says the exact opposite. Amr Lach Rav Chista. So what would Rav Chista answer to this? Matninan Litzorach Gufo. Our Mishnah is dealing with a case where the reason why you're moving, right, the Tahor Truma is because you need the Tahor Truma, right? How do you need it? You want to eat it. Okay, so this is moving an item with Sorech Gufo, because you need the item itself. Breita with Sorech Mekomo, right? But the Breita is talking about a case where you're moving it because you need it for its place. What's interesting to me about this is, is that the Sorech Mekomo case 
ends up being in a way more makeout, right? Because it's any situation you have, right? Tame on top of tahor or tahor on top of tame. Whereas the tzarech legufo case only works according to Rokhis and according to our mission in his interpretation of the Mishnah, where the tahor truma is on the bottom with tame truma on top of it and you can't dump it out, okay? But I would almost think in a way, just thinking this through, that when you need the item like tzarech legufo, right? You would think that would sort of be the more make case because like you need the actual item itself as opposed to a tzarech mikomo case where it's just that you need the space where the item is occupying. Um, does that make sense, Anne? Do you hear what I'm saying? Like it's, I it's do think interesting it to me. Yeah, it so I, I just thought that was like an interesting piece of what's going on here, you know, that almost in a way that tzarech mikomo becomes more make I don't know that I would use the terms make and 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 uh, Machner, but in a way, it's easier to deal with the case of a muksa item sorech lemekomo in this particular case than what it's sorech legufo when you want to actually use the item itself. So there's something about it that feels like a little counterintuitive to me. But practically speaking, I think that is true as well, right? Like something that you need the space. It's kind of easy to, you know, maneuver the thing that's in the way, the muksa item that's in the way. You can kind of do that without actually so much handling the thing. Usually, not always, depends what the item is. But you can, right? You can, or you can do it with a shinui to get it, to move it. If you need the item itself, it's harder to, then you have to handle it. Right. So then the Gemara wants to go on here and wants to sort of fully explain this. So it's, it's willing to recognize and accept Rav Chista's counter to this Brisa, right? That it's really just talking about a Tzorach Lugufo case, which is our Mishnah, Versus Sarach Mikomo, which is uh, which is the brisa that seems to contradict. So now the Gemara is going to go and say, "My duchekhe de Rav Chista luukame matnina l'tzorach gufo." So they're going to say, "Why do we even need to say this? What made Rav Chista give such a careful reading of the Mishnah that it has to be a tzorach gufo case, right? Why can't we just say it's? It could also be a tzorach Mikomo case." Amma Rava, Rava answers, "Matnina and kavate diake." Right, our Mishnah reads more precisely, right, more carefully as it's inter- as Rav Chista explains it. De Katani Sefa, because what does the last clause of the Mishnah say? Money that's on a pillow, right, you can shake the pillow so it falls off. Right, this case only makes sense, the shaking off the pillow, right? In a case where you need the pillow, right? It's sorech gufo, right? You want to lay your head down on the pillow, right? About litzorech mikomo, but if it was that you needed the space that the pillow occupies, and it just happens that there's money on top of it. So what happens is the pillow sort of becomes a base for the muksa item. Metaltalova odech alav, right? So just pick the pillow up and move it somewhere else with the money on top of it. Umitzesefa litzorech gufo. So since the last clause of the Mishnah clearly deals with the case of Tzorach Gufo, so what Rav Chisa is really saying is, is that then the first clause also needs to deal with the case of Tzorach Gufo. So again, this is something that we've seen before, that the Amurayim pay very, very close attention to the actual language of the Mishnah itself. So besides, you know, so I guess I have two major points here. Uh, the first point being just this counterintuitiveness that like sort of the Tzorach Gufo case seems to be a little bit more complicated or the moving it is not, um, you move it differently than when it's Tzorach Mikomo because it's like, yeah, you just pick up the item and move it. 
Whereas if it's so fufo, there seems to be more limitations, which seems to me, again, to be counterintuitive. And the second piece is, I think this is just a great example of seeing how the Amorayim really delve and try to flesh out a Mishnah, right? That the Mishnah, again, is written in this particular type of shorthand. Rav Chista comes with saying, like, no, these are all the qualifications that we need to understand the Mishnah. And then at the end of working it through, the Gemara proves it on itself by saying that Rav Chista actually did a very close reading of the last clause of the Mishnah. And that's how he got to his understanding of the first clause of the Mishnah. It's not just that he sort of came up with this, you know, out of air to sort of make his distinction about movement of muksa items in a case of Surah Kufo versus Surah Mikomo. He actually is learning this out from the language itself of the Mishnah. And I think it just, again, proves to us how carefully uh, and how nuanced uh, the readings of the Amorayim were of the Mishnah itself. So I'm always struck by that. And, and I think that it's instructive to us, right? Like we want to say, I, I think this happens, we've talked about in the past also, you know, to what extent do we legitimate a very close reading or do we say, no, you're reading in, right? And it's a different kind of a different approach to text. And I think that Chazal were very adept at that close reading. And so we learned from them how to do it for rabbinic literature. I want to pay attention a little bit to the fact Let's just pause and note, I know you did, but that we're back in the land of muksa again, which I find to be, you know, again, what are these topics that, that recur kind of throughout Masachat Shabbat? Well, carrying, clearly. And muksa is kind of part, part of carrying. And I, I find it interesting. I still want like the, I, we're going through fast enough that on the one hand, we get this broad perspective on the Masachat. And on the other hand, I'm not yet satisfied that I have a handle on why what topic appears when, right? Um, now, maybe I'm not supposed to, and maybe I never will, but but I would like to. And and I feel like this is one of those questions, like, why is Muxa here now? You know, I'm not, I'm not saying it shouldn't be. I'm saying, but there must be some, it's so we've seen so, so many times how carefully the Gemara is structured. The same way you're saying that the Mishnah is written, you know, the, the, of Christ is doing such a close reading of the Mishnah. They also did such a close reading, so to speak, beforehand, right? putting the text together very carefully. So this is an open question, uh, you know. Yeah, I um, agree with you. I think that's a really, you would think almost in a way, Masachat Shabbat would be particularly easy to organize. And it's really interesting to see how for our modern framework of organization, it's really not organized. But I don't think the Gemara is meant to be organized in a traditional way. And we different than Masachat Brachot, I think we really see that in Masachat Shabbat. So on this point, and then I'll get to my mission here on the on the DAF, um, I once upon a time had a student who was herself at that time getting a master's in Talmud. And I mean, I had her as a student in Drisha, Drisha Institute in New York. And she made the point, which I'm not sure if this was a subject of her master's thesis or if it was just an observation in passing. And it was long enough ago that I really found it to be like, it, it informed much of my learning since then. Um, she noted that we in modern... Western thinking tend to think in what's a linear fashion. And certainly anybody who's doing computer programming needs to think in a linear fashion, right? That's the kind of logic that we use. Um, and it's coming out of Greek philosophy and it's coming out of logic. And her observation was that the Gemara's approach is more associative. 
not linear. And so that we can have, you know, and we've seen this, you know, and we will continue to see this throughout, you know, where statements or ideas are put together simply by virtue of the, the person who is connecting them. Or there was one word that connected here and there, even though the topics themselves seem not to be connected. And that's the associative thinking that, that builds us kind of a, a mass, uh, you know, spiral, morass, something of, of content so that it's all there. They're gonna touch on everything in the same way that a linear approach would touch on everything, but in a less linear fashion. For modern sensibilities, this is what we call Gemara logic, right? It becomes difficult if it's not the way you, are, you expect it. I imagine that for Rav Chista and his cohorts, this was the way to do it, you know? Yes, exactly. Okay, it's so now- It's an interesting observation. So now to our Mishnah. Um, um, so we have a stone let's say that it's you know set aside on Shabbat so you can't move it it's going to be muks on Shabbat and now it's put it had been placed at the on the mouth of the barrel and now what happens you tilt the barrel but that's, you're tilting the barrel and your stone that's on the top of the on the mouth of the barrel falls what happens if the barrel is among other barrels and then what happens if that stone it's not like a little pebble the stone falls on them and now what's going to happen if they're going to break because a stone would fall on them from when the barrel tilted so then you can lift that barrel which is really fundamentally a base a basis for that stone to make sure that it will be removed at further remove from the other barrels so that then you could tilt it on the side and it would fall. And this is a way to, as you say, you you move that stone by by tilting the barrels, but you have, in this case, it's, it's complicated in this scenario, right? To make sure that you're not gonna do any damage in this tricky finagling of getting the, the stone off the chavit, off the barrel. The Mishnah continues, ma'ot sha'al hakar. What happens if you have, coins that are money, right? Coins that are on a cushion, a pillow. So like, you know, shake, shake, the, wiggle the pillow, jiggle the pillow a little bit. The hay no float and your coins will fall. And I feel like everybody, everybody, everybody has done something to move coins. You know, you discover, lo and behold, you have, maybe it's not relevant anymore when people don't carry money anymore, but right, you have coins in your pocket and you're about to walk out. So you empty out your pockets onto the floor. Now you have to like push those quarters, you know, or shekels onto the side. Um, some, you know, there's, everybody comes up with a different way of maneuvering the coins away from themselves. I love right? So I'm sorry, lishloshet. So what happens if you have um, bird dung, right? Poop, according to the Arach, is on the cushion, and you're now you're going to wipe it off. You wipe it off, but how are you going to do that? Right? This is a concern of, you know, there's several concerns here. And obviously you want to get the, to get, to get it clean, but how are you going to wash it in such a way that it's not going to be a problem of all the malachot that would come into place with laundering your pillow? So, so you do what you can to kind of get it off with your rag, but you can't use water. Haita shell or what if your pillow is made of leather? So then you could use water because it's not going to be really laundering the item, right? You're going to, it's just going to, I don't know, wipe it off, um, right? Because water will will pool on the leather in a way that it would not on regular fabric. Okay. Um, okay. So first of all, it's interesting to me that these 
cases, you know, the stone on the on the barrel, I understand where you ne- really need the barrel. Here, you're talking about a situation where you need the pillow, and you either, and, and it's and it's become unusable, either because you have a muksa item on top of it, which you can just, you know, gently get rid of, get it to fall off, or there's actually been some damage to the pillows. I can imagine, you know, anybody who's got porch furniture, right? This could happen, right? That you can end up, you want to sit down, you have to somehow, you have, it's very much Makobo, you need to somehow clean off your pillows. Um, okay. There was one bit in the Gemara on this that I wanted to touch on, and I just am looking for it very quickly. Here, Dana, do you have anything to add while I find this piece? No, I think, uh, I, I think again, I'm struck by that this is a Mishnah that really has very typical human situations of things that happen on Shabbat. Right. Okay, so and, here and we go. Here's... Also, like, I guess, you know, even when we talked about the shoes yesterday, like, it's just, I think it's fun and interesting to see, like, not much has changed. You know, like, the human <laughs> condition true. is the human condition. The situations we find, like, what, what bothered them on Shabbat bothered us on Shabbat also. Not always, but in these types of cases, yes. Right, right. So here's just a little bit of Gemara about the pillows. Amar Rabbi Barbachana, Amar Rav Yochanan, Lo shanu gufo, Right, so this you know, it harkens back to what you were saying before, right? If you, the Mishnah is describing when you need the place. What if you need the coins themselves, right? Um, so then you would move the cushion with the coins on it, or if you needed the cushion itself, rather, as opposed to the place, right? You don't need it to sit down, but you need the cushion to do something else with. So then you don't get rid of the coins and you use the coin, you, you just leave them and ignore them. Um, um, and here we've got the the a comparable view from of Difti, right? That they only taught this: you shake off the cushion for the coins to fall in the case where you need the cushion for the sake of the cushion. But if you need it for the place, oh, I'm sorry, I said it backwards. Um, if you need it for the place and you move the cushion, okay. So this is the tricky part. Let's let's unpack it, right? The Gemara here is talking about a situation we discussed the Mishnah. I'm sorry. We discussed the Mishnah with a situation where the cushion was the place that you needed, right? You didn't need the cushion to be somewhere else. You needed the cushion to sit down on, right? And we're calling that Litzorach Makomo, right? The Gemara talks about a situation where you need that cushion versus you need the place where the cushion itself is, right? And that is an important distinction because then you would move the cushion with the coins as opposed to if you, and, that, and that's called if you need the cushion itself, that's called tzorach gufo, of the cushion, right? Um, it, what I think got me kind of tangled up here is that I usually think of this idea of what do you need the thing for? I would have thought we're talking about the coins. So I'm a little bit puzzled here. Yodana, do you have insight here for me? Um, no, I hear what you're saying. I didn't think of that question. That's a good question. <laughs> Okay, well, so we're going to leave it as a as a holding in abeyance because I want to finish this up because we have to finish up the episode. Um, but everybody, you know, I'm sure with a little bit more reflection, we can come to the bottom of this. And I'm sorry to confuse everybody, including myself. So what happens? Again, this case of the money on the pillow and you're going to shake it off. Um, what happens if you forgot your wallet in the courtyard, right? Right. So 
So now you're talking about mamash money, right? You're talking about a, a significant amount of money and you remember it, now it's already Shabbos, what are you going to do? So it says either you put a loaf of bread on top of the, of the wallet or you put a kid, a baby on top of the wallet and then you can carry it. Meaning you have changed the nature of the wallet to become a basis ledevar hamutar, right? You can use it because it's become the base to carry something else. And you're no longer moving it for the sake of it being a wallet. You could do the same thing if you have a brick. It doesn't have to be a wallet with money, right? You left a brick in the in the courtyard, and now you have to move it. So again, move it in this way that makes it a basis for something that is permissible to move. And I love this year, right? Because here we've got the, the example of the real life situation that they were in. Says, you know, once upon a time they forgot a whole. Diskaya is a saddlebag, right? Diskaya malea maot bisratia. So they they forgot it in the main street. Now what are you gonna do? Like your the saddlebag is big. That's a that's a large. That's a, an item of a lot of value that is now gone missing, or it's not missing. You know where it is, but it's Shabbos and you can't get it out of the main street. You have all kinds of carrying issues. You have all kinds of mukta issues. Uval v'shalu et Reb Yochanan. So they asked Reb Yochanan, what should they do? V'amar lehen, hanihu aleha kikar otinok v'teltaluha. So put a loaf of bread on it or put a baby on it and then pick that thing up. And there you go. Now you can carry it to safety. Now, presumably you're going to have to leave it, you know, you're not going to handle it once you get it to, in, into your private domain. But the idea is, and this is very, very practical, Rav Yochanan doesn't say, you know what, leave it to rot in the middle of the street, it's Shabbos. He says, well, we have a, a workaround that is a little bit difficult, perhaps, but the idea is that it, it's going to preserve Shabbos, and it's also going to preserve your, your concern over having lost your wallet, having lost your saddlebag, whatever it's going to be, and make sure that you get it into your house for Shabbos. Yeah, I what I liked is also the end of that. I don't know that we need to read it inside, um, but that end of that Gemara, where it talks about you know a workaround of Abaya and Rava, and they're kind of called to task for doing that workaround, and then they basically say like, oh, because they're so great, they can do that particular workaround. And I just wanted to point that out. I, we don't need to read it inside just for sake of time, because um, I thought that tied back into some of the things we discussed before about sort of seeing this distinction made between like what the rabbis would allow themselves to do because they understand the nuance of halacha and what that models for other people watching their actions. Yes, very much so. I think that that distinction is, is critical, but I like how this Gemara is going to apply to everybody. Right. But I just think, you know, that's one of the issues with a lot of these cases about muksa is that there is a piece that's so subjective. What's valuable to somebody may not be valuable to another person. What someone, you know, like uh, what, what someone, even with Rava, that case of like what he's willing to eat or not eat. Uh, what, what's the use for it? In other words, you can see a pile of straw and not need it. You can see a pile of straw and need it. So I think that's really what gets so complicated when it comes to muksa is there's a super subjectivity about the human experience and what we do with objects. And it's not so clear cut always what something is needed for or what its use is for or what its space is needed for even, right? If it's Gufo or Mikhovo. And I think that's why this, that's why I think there's so much time 
um, and energy spent on this particular topic. I think you're making a really important, really important point. And I want to say also that for all that we see a lot of question and answer, right? They go to Rav Yochanan, they ask the Shiloh, what should they do in this circumstance? We also see that there's a lot of trust, meaning you go learn these laws and then you go and apply them to your life based on what are your priorities and what do you have a use for and so on. And I, I, I don't want to be political about this, but I do think that there's an interesting autonomy in amongst the amongst well they're chazal but even so right um about what they're going to be doing in terms of how they prioritize what to handle what to handle as muksa what not to handle how to, how are they going to solve their their conundrum the same way we might have to today yeah exactly so um i don't know i'm thinking about another piece of muksa here after i've been reading through these stuff and particularly how this one ends with that story of abaya and rabba so that's our dot for the day rank us review us on all major podcasts uh, thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Uh, let us know what you thought about this stuff and some of the nuances about Muxan or Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.